I want to invite you to find the book of First Peter in your Bible. It'll be um, toward the end. Um, if you have a hard copy of the Bible, it'll be just within the, the last few pages. You're looking for First Peter chapter 4. We um, are just going to be here in this section of the Bible for one Sunday. Um, next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll get back into the Gospel of Luke um, and finish our study of the Gospel of Luke um, by Easter. So that's, that's the, the long-term plan. Today, we're going to spend some time um, talking about what to do when you're suffering. And we're only going to take one verse, 1 Peter 4, verse 19. 1 Peter four nineteen. This particular verse gives us two things to do when we're suffering. I don't think that a pastor should ever go too long without talking about suffering. And really, there are two reasons for that. The first reason is just because suffering is so common to, to life, especially the Christian life. In other words, it's something that we just experience so much that it's really helpful to have a, a constant input in terms of how to handle it. The second reason it's good to not go too long without talking about suffering is that suffering is so um, likely to keep us from looking like a Christian. It's so likely to derail us from living the Christian life. I don't know what you're like when you're suffering. I feel like I am insufferable when I'm suffering. I know that I'm insufferable when I'm suffering. That has been the consistent pattern of my life. Like, there's a whole host of other negative things that come out when I'm suffering, towards other people especially. It's self-pity, drawing inward, shortness, moodiness, just all those things that shouldn't mark a Christian life. It's so easy to be derailed, at least for me, by even the smallest amount of suffering. And your experience of suffering may be so difficult that you even want to stop being a Christian. So the stakes, the stakes are really high. That's why it's, it's good to spend time talking about suffering because it's so likely and it's so tempting to walk away from the Christian life for a while or for good. So we're going to spend some time talking about suffering today. Um, I love this verse because it's so simple. Peter simply gives us, hey, when you're suffering, do these two things. Isn't that helpful? It's really practically helpful. And we're just going to spend some time fleshing out what these two things mean and what that might look like practically, okay? And then at the end, we'll celebrate communion. So let's, let's read um, what Peter writes, and then we'll, we'll talk about these two things, okay? Um, I do want to invite you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of the word um, in honor of God. This is what we find, 1 Peter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Amen. Please be seated. Well, there, there is a really big question to wrestle with here that we're not even going to address today. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will 
entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's, let's get it in our minds one more time. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What's the really big question that pops out? Well, the really big question is, hey, it looks like suffering uh, at times is God's will for our lives. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. How could it be God's will for any of his children to suffer? That's a really big question. That may be a, a really difficult question for you. It's a good question to ask. We, it, it's beyond the scope of what we're going to try to tackle today. It's a, whole, it's a whole series of studies and sermons on its own that suffering could be located within the will of God. But what we can notice today is it's good to tie verse 19 that we just read. It's good to tie that verse back up to verse 12. At verse 12 we read, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. So don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. So from these words, we learn that God uses trials and sufferings to to test us. And the particular kind of trial and suffering that Peter has in mind here is being insulted or persecuted for the sake of Christ. So when he's talking about trials and sufferings, the specific one that he's talking about is connected to Jesus Christ, is your association with Christ. That's verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. There are all kinds of different ways for us to suffer in this life. Being persecuted for being a Christian is just one of them. We think about the other ways that we experience suffering. We might have a chronic health condition. It causes long-term suffering. We might have a serious accident at a point in time that means short-term suffering. We might lose someone we love. We may experience loneliness. We may suffer abuse and fear. We might go hungry. And we may suffer in many other ways. And so while Peter is addressing a a certain kind of suffering, the direction that he gives is going to be helpful for all kinds of suffering that we experience. If you are a Christian and you're suffering in any way, Please take what Peter writes as your anchor for making it through. Because you know how it is when we're suffering. When we're suffering, sometimes we just feel like we've been set adrift. Adrift from God, adrift from other people. We can become disconnected, isolated. And here in Peter's words, we have um, a direction to go. We have forward momentum. We have a rock to stand on. We have stability for, okay, I can do this. I should do this. This is where God is sending me. If I feel like I'm suffering within his will, he said, here, here is your your anchor. These two things. 
notice what the two things are. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator and do good. Now, broadly, before we talk about each one of those, just notice the two directions that God, through Peter, sends us. He sends us in two directions. See, when we're suffering, the temptation is just to pull within ourself, right? Further and further inward. And the text sends us both upward, entrust your souls to a faithful creator, that's up, and outward, do good. And I I hope, if you don't remember anything else, I I hope that just that one simple thing is helpful to you. That when I'm suffering, the word sends me upward and outward. Entrust your soul to God. Do good. All right? Now let's talk about each of these things. Entrust your soul to a faithful creator. This is something that we do on the inside. This is something that um, has to do with the soul. This is an, an interior thing that we do. Our soul is that immaterial part of us that can worry and that can fear. Our soul is that part of us that can become discouraged or be encouraged. Our soul can be lifted up. It can be cast down. Our soul can feel joy. It can feel despair. Our soul can feel heavy with pain and feel burdened. Our soul can be overcome with sorrow. We can feel just as much pain on the inside as we do on the outside. You know, I didn't know that was possible until I had an experience of suffering some time ago. I didn't know it was possible to feel just as much pain on the inside as you can on the outside. Did you know that that's true? Some of you know that that's true by experience. Our soul can be guarded, just like our body can be guarded. We know how to guard our body. We also know how to guard our soul, to try to wall off relationships to keep ourselves from getting hurt. One thing that we just have to learn how to do when we are suffering is figure out, what am I going to do with my soul? My soul that's constantly weighed down, that I can't sleep at night starting to hurt other people, worried that joy will never return. God, is this going to be a forever thing for my soul to feel like this? Will I, will I ever recover? What are you going to do with your soul? Peter gives us something to do with our soul. He writes that we're to entrust it to someone. That word entrust means to give something away for safekeeping. Think about the word entrust. It means to give something away for safekeeping. We're to give our soul to someone for safekeeping. We're to entrust it in order that it might be guarded. In order that it might be protected and kept safe. In this case, God. By this word entrust, we understand that if we take up Peter's instruction, if we do what he says, if we entrust our souls to God, God is preserving our soul. I want you to know, Christian, that 
when you suffer, God doesn't just observe your soul. He's not just watching you walk through these things like he's seeing how you're going to respond, like he's collecting data, like you're an experiment that he's watching. He's not just observing your soul. He's offering to preserve your soul. That's why the word is entrusted to God, entrusted for safekeeping. You know what that means? That means your soul is valuable. We don't entrust things that aren't valuable. When you set your garbage out on the curb to be collected, we never say that we're entrusting our garbage to the sanitation company. No, we, we just give that away. We, give, we want it to go away. That's different than an entrustment. An entrustment implies something of value that has to be guarded, protected. We say, here, God, I can't do this on my own. Would you be the protector of my soul? I can't manage it on my own. And God receives your soul as an entrustment. He knows that it needs to be protected. And he's offering to protect it. And he's powerful to protect it. Let me ask you a question. If you have trusted God to save your soul from hell, Can God be trusted to shepherd your soul through difficulty? Have you trusted God to save to save your soul from hell? From some of you, that's an easy yes. That's a Sunday school answer. Oh, yes, of course I have. Well, this question is much harder, right? But it's much easier in light of the first one. If God, if God can be trusted to save your soul from hell, can he not be trusted to shepherd your soul and preserve your soul through difficulty? Yes, he can. In terms of what this looks like practically, like how do I entrust my soul to God? Like what are the action steps here? I think it's a very simple daily or hourly prayer, a very simple prayer. God, God, preserve my soul. God, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the weight, my soul that's under attack, my soul that's heavy, my soul that's afraid. God, preserve my soul. I cannot manage this on my own. By the way, the Psalms are your companion here. The riches of the Psalms are your companion. This is the theme of practically every Psalm. God, I'm under attack. My soul's weighed down. Why are you downcast, my soul? God, be my protector and my rock. So many of the Psalms are about this exact thing. Find refuge there. God, preserve my soul. Entrusting it to him hour by hour. By the way, that's the way the Christian life was designed to work. It's not designed to be a pill that you take and then the rest of the day you feel fine. (laughs) This is about relationship. This is about you talking with God every minute if necessary. By design. Not a shot in the arm. A constant communication. God, I need you to preserve my soul. I'm dependent on you every minute. Okay, 
I think we get the idea. I think there's something else that we can say here about entrusting our soul to God. Still on this first action item of entrusting our soul to God when we're suffering. Notice that Peter calls God faithful creator. Right? He could have just chosen the simpler word and just said, let them entrust their souls to God. No. Faithful creator. Let them entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Did you know that God created your soul? He is the creator. But not only that, he is a faithful creator. He doesn't just write, entrust their souls to God, but faithful creator. In other words, he hasn't created your soul and then cut you loose. He is your faithful creator. That means he doesn't only create your soul, he also continually shapes your soul. He shapes it over time faithfully, and one of the main ways that he shapes our souls is through suffering. So that when we suffer, we can say that God is preserving our soul and God is shaping our soul. Do you know someone who has been just radically, impressively, and beautifully shaped in their soul through their suffering? Do you know someone like that? Someone who has been radically and impressively and beautifully, beautifully shaped in their soul through suffering. I, I know someone like that. I'm not. I'm not going to say. Um, I'm not going to say her name or give or give enough detail to that you could figure out who I'm talking about. But I have a case like that in my life. Someone that I've known a long time, who um, early um, or in a former life probably could have been described as maybe a little bit jaded, um, agitated, um, maybe bitter. And then she had this experience of suffering. Her soul is beautiful. She's not perfect, but she is different. God shaped her through her suffering. And her countenance is a a sight to behold. Do you know someone like that? Maybe, maybe that's your experience. That God faithfully shapes us through our suffering. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator who's going to preserve and who's going to shape. Second thing, do good. How easy is that? When you're suffering, do good. Christians doing good things is actually a major theme in Peter's first letter here. He's talking about it all the time. Christians doing good things. 
chapter 2, verse 12, 2, 15, 3, 1, 3, 6. You can look these all up on your own if you want to. 3, 11, 3, 16 through 17. Chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Also, verse 19, which we're in. All these times, Peter's talking about Christians doing good over and over and over again. So by the time... By the time we get to 419, where we are, all Peter is really saying is that when you're suffering, don't be derailed from the regular Christian life that I've been describing. Like, keep doing good. Keep on living the Christian life. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. So doing good to all people isn't just therapeutic, right? That would be the easy thing to think in this one verse in a vacuum, like, well, he's just telling us to do good to others because it's therapeutic and we'll kind of get outside ourselves. Well, that, yeah, that's true, but that's not all it means. Doing good is way more purposeful than that. Here's just a a few things in in Peter's letter. When he talks about doing good, these are the purposes that he outlines. Like, this is why we do good. It glorifies God. Doing good silences foolish people. Doing good brings people to faith. Doing good takes away any grounds for opposition. Doing good serves the body of Christ. And right here, doing good anchors us during suffering. So doing good is a huge part of the Christian life. It it serves a doxological purpose. That means it glorifies God. It serves an apologetic purpose. It's a, a defense of the faith. There's an ecclesiological purpose. It builds up the church. And the danger in suffering is that we leave off living the Christian life, which is hard, because our life has personally become so hard. We have to fight suffering with service. So if you're, if you're suffering, begin to engage service. Fight suffering with service. If there's an explosion of suffering in your life, let it mean an explosion of service comes from you as well. Peter does give a few examples in his letter of what he means by doing good. Um, There's lots of things we might think of. Here here are a few things that he mentions specifically that he has in mind when he writes doing good. One thing we know he means is um, give honor to people. Chapter 2, verse 17, he actually writes, honor everyone. We tend to remember him writing honor the emperor. He actually writes honor everyone. When he says doing good, he also has in mind show hospitality. When he writes doing good, he also means serve the body of Christ with your gifts. So that when we're suffering, and and if you're suffering right now in this season, some of the questions, based on the text, some of the questions you can ask are, and you want to be obedient here, I want to do good, okay, well, I can ask, who can I honor? It shouldn't be hard to find anyone. Peter writes, honor everyone. Everyone is a candidate. Who can I honor? Who can I show hospitality to? How can I serve the body of Christ with my gifts? Those are just a few of the questions that you can ask to just get started. And let me say also that these don't all have to be relationally intensive, okay? Because... 
when we're suffering, the suffering, at least initially, can be so intense that extended time with people is just not something that we can engage right away. And to think about, like, going out and serving people and having to maybe talk about what you're going through, that can be really hard. But notice there are ways to honor people um, without being with them. You could send them a card or a gift if you can't be around them. If you're not ready to show hospitality, if you're not ready to make a meal for someone and invite them in, who needs a meal that you could prepare and take it to them? And as far as serving the body with your gifts, there are lots and lots of quiet ways to serve this body of believers that won't bring you into contact with anybody. I can tell you all about it. If you just need a a quiet way to serve. You can and should live the life of a Christian even while suffering. Keep doing good. You know, if suffering excuses us from living the Christian life, then there's no Christian life left to live. Because the Christian life is a participation in the sufferings of Christ. Here's the last thing. The message of 1 Peter is that we are to handle suffering in the same way that Jesus handled suffering. You ready for this? If you have a Bible, look at 221. I'm going to put it up here too. We're just going to read. Peter tells us how Jesus handled suffering. Okay, So now we're, we're not talking so much about ourselves anymore, how we handle it, but just look at how Jesus handled suffering and notice the similarities between how Jesus handled it and what Peter is writing that we should do. 1 Peter 2.21 For you have been called, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. There's the entrusting part. Here's the doing good part. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. How did Jesus handle suffering? He entrusted himself to God, and he did good, the greatest good for others. And therefore, and so, Peter writes to us who have been called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. All kinds of negative and harmful things might come out of a human being when they're suffering. Things that are negative and harmful toward God and things that are negative and harmful toward others. When a Christian suffers, there is to be an explosion of prayer toward God and an explosion of service toward others.
in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this word that has the capacity to anchor us when life is the hardest. It's a rock that we can stand on. It's a word that we can trust. These things aren't going to be easy for us to put into practice, Father. Um, Today, now, I just pray you'd help us to even remember them as we go. They are two simple things that we can do when we're suffering. Thank you that we can entrust our soul to you. Thank you that in many ways we'll still have a way to bless others, even when we're going through something hard. Thank you for this word, Father, in Jesus' name.